Welcome to the final episode of Demol Belgium Germany recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who has watched far worse pornos than the ones Anna family evidently have, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. For the final time this season, good afternoon. And we've had a busy week, I think it's fair to say. You've got your COVID vaccine on Sunday. I've got a new job as of us recording. And um, we spent a couple of hours on Tuesday talking to Gilles de Costa. So it's um, it's been a good week. And I think it's fair to say that the Gilles episode, I'm trying not to obviously talk about this too much in this episode, but I said to you yesterday, I think the episode we recorded with Gilles is potentially one of my favorite podcasts we've ever done. It's a very good episode. Don't overhype it, man. I know. Underpromise over delivery is usually our style with this, and we'll get to what I mean with that at the end of this episode. But I, I have a good feeling about this episode. I really enjoyed it. We had a lovely debrief after the uh, after the call, just going, holy shit, that was a really good episode. And I also want to start the episode by thanking everyone who did send in questions for Jill. I think we ended up covering something like 50 questions between me and Logan and all of your guys' questions that got sent in. I don't want to sound like an ungrateful bastard when I say this, because I may have forgotten to credit a few people with their questions when they sent them in. So if I did forget to credit you, please take my apology now. It was not deliberate. Yeah, and some questions did overlap a bit with each other, or we'd quickly think of one of the questions that were in our list when we were on the subject talking to Jill. Yeah, we certainly... And not deliberately ignoring people's contributions is what I'll say. I, I credited when I remembered to, but sometimes in the moment I did forget to actually credit everyone. But know that we are incredibly grateful for you contributing to the show, and please continue to contribute to the show, because we may need your help with something I'm going to mention at the end of the episode as well. A few parish notices after last week's episode as well. In the intro to the Isidore challenge, Jill did say that 10,000 euros has never been offered in a challenge before, and actually when I was looking through my notes for Jill, I noticed that the very first challenge of Argentina was a 10,000 euro challenge potentially, in the Salinas Grandes. He just couldn't remember like a challenge from six years ago, I guess. Belgi law has been broken enough in this season. He doesn't need to try and rewrite history as well. <laughs> and something we are actually going to end up talking about in this episode is obviously the alternative mole Martin, as we know who he is. Imagine if we were at the finale last week and Martine was wandering around and nobody knew who he was until this episode. Like, that would have been awesome. That would have been a hilarious reveal, sitting at home going, oh, you bastards, how did you sneak him past us here? But it's definitely something I can see them having done if the the finale event actually happened this year. Or just have Martine come out on the reveal simultaneously with Leonard. Yeah. As we discussed last week. Have him hiding behind a curtain. Yeah. So we, of course, as is traditional with this season, get a drone shot to begin with, and they are in Edechem. Jens is the first to enter. His actions get narrated by Gilles, just like in the bomb challenge, and Noah enters the same room. I was surprised they actually brought back Jens. He was a part of the season, though. That's, I mean, <laughs> I, I need to have a, a bell when I say this, but this is something we brought up with Gilles, but he is considered an integral part of this season. It would be like having, I guess the biggest comparison I can make is saying it would be like Billet and Saeed being contestants on The Amazing Race. They were at the finish line though, weren't they? Yeah, they were at the finish line, but it's like if you had a reunion episode and Billet and Saeed showed up, even though they only got to do 
half of an episode. I like the fact that they they paid credit to Jens and then obviously Martine as well through half the episode. Yeah, I like that too. I was just surprised. Or maybe maybe more so surprised that Jens would actually show up, I guess. And then Damien, Kevin and Philip and Yasmin enter the rooms next. And they can't hug, which Philip laments because he's a massive hugger. And Sabine and Katrine say that they've been counting down the days until they could see each other again. Jill's disembodied voice messes with Samina again, asking if she's checked for the bomb under her chair. <laughs> to which I think she's bored of that shtick by that point. Or there's a red button in the room. If you press it, uh, two of the chairs in one of the other rooms will explode. But you guys will both be safe. <laughs> and they then all watch the finale in their pairs. And I love the way that they did this. I think this is a brilliant way to to make it COVID secure still, but then still make it integrally Belgian mole. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big bummer last year that they had to do everything online for the Greece finale. Yeah, because the only time that they actually got to go face-to-face was when everyone was in the original rooms with Alina again. They got to find out it was Alina, but they didn't actually get to be in the same space, which is really sad, and I'm really glad that they, they managed to do it this year. So Samina says that if it's Sven, a murder will happen today. Noah thinks that it's Lennart. Yasmin and Philip both think that Sven is the winner. Samina actually does shed a tear when Anna Lotta is revealed to have won. And in a very nice touch, when the curtains open on the screen, the curtains open in their viewing room too, and Lennart is behind them, and he's still wearing his suit from Germany. I wonder if, if he forgot it in Germany and he actually Sven had to take him to buy another suit for the reunion. It would be very, very funny if that happened. If they just met up as a result of this and uh, and Leonard was told that he had to buy another suit for this. <laughs> and the actual reunion portion is on the lawn of the house that they're in. Gilles says that they're missing one important person, who is the second mole. Kevin's reaction to Leonard's being the mole is was probably my favourite part. I believe his exact words were, you piece of shit. <laughs> we learned a lot of Dutch swear words in these scenes. You piece of shit, Leonard. You were the mole the whole time. I spread across four people, and and none of them were you. I mean, we learned another word for bastard. We saw Kevin call him a piece of shit. I think there was at least two or three other Dutch swear words in these scenes of everyone finding out that Leonard was the mole. But Kevin's reactions, again, I'm just casting my mind back to the, the first couple of weeks, obviously, when Kevin was in. Kevin's reactions to Leonard being the mole and then the alternative mole being in the same room as them, his reactions were brilliant. He very nearly got the banner this week as a result of his reaction to to Martine's existence. It's only because I thought it was fair that Martine probably got the banner this week, just to sort of give him credit for being such an integral part of the season. Yeah, I'm glad he got as much time to be showcased in this reunion episode as he did. It really got to be his own episode. Yeah, this was his one episode arc, basically, and it was something we discussed at Lend last week as to whether they could get away without showing Martine off, or showing the alternative mole off, at least. And I said at the time that I didn't think that they would have been able to make this twist palatable without showing who the second mole was. And I'm really, really glad, having watched this episode, that they did show him, because he seemed fun. He would have been a really fun element of this season had he managed to get to the car. Do you think he would have been as successful as Leonard was? No. <laughs> no, I, d- I don't think anyone's going to be as successful in any mole season as Leonard was in terms of 
not being suspected. What's funny is that even though so many of us were on to Leonard so early on and could identify where he probably sabotaged as being the mole, boy oh boy does this reunion episode really make you appreciate how much effort he put into his sabotages and just how obvious he was able to be with his sabotages and not have anyone even consider him. Yeah. Where would you place him on your your ranking of Belgian moles? I know we discussed this last week, but I think it's a tough question now, having seen this reunion. Yeah, well, just seeing him, how he, like, how much work he put into the ten thousand euro sabotage, and just no one even, just the fact that we see all these confessionals so late in the game and no one's even considering him. It's not until Philip goes that Sven's like, well, I guess it's Leonard. I'm just gonna take a random shot in the dark at it, and then Analata doesn't even think it could be Leonard and changes her mind until 10 minutes before, maybe even less before the final quiz. And just how much, how much he tried to earn the trust of the group while still sabotaging in very obvious ways. He just got away with so much that I don't think any other mole would be able to get so far in the series. I think the only variable is that Elizabeth didn't even find out she was the mole until on location. So that's a much tougher obstacle for any mole to overcome. Leonard didn't have to go through that. But even with prep, I don't know if Elizabeth would be able to pull off in such a confident and commanding and sneaky way as much as Leonard did. I think after watching this reunion, Leonard is solidly second for me. Because you do always have to give credit to Elizabeth for finding out on location and still managing to be such a successful mole. I think there's an argument for him maybe beating Elizabeth, but, I mean, it goes back to the 10,000 euro bid, even though there is such a great explanation in this episode as to how he can get away with it and makes it a bit more palatable. He still managed to get into situations where he was immune for three of the rounds and still didn't draw the attention from that. Or the domino challenge. I think that's the one sabotage that just blew away all of the other contestants. It's like, he didn't put any dominoes up. He constantly asked everyone to test their dominoes so they'd knock them over. Uh, If you had your eyes open just a little bit, you'd see, wow, Leonard did nothing but (laughs) kill us in this challenge. I don't think we will see, and I know this is famous last words, I don't think we will see as successful a mole as Leonard for a while again now. I can't see how anyone is going to top him in terms of success, in terms of nobody suspecting him until the last episode, in terms of the winner of the season not being on to him until 10 minutes before the final test. I don't know, because if you look at the past few years or so, the moles have been more and more evasive, but getting away with more and more at the same time. It's like, I think what's happening is that producers are learning more about how the mole can get away with things rather than more and more about how fans watching the show can figure out how to catch on to the mole's tactics. I think the mole is getting trained and getting sharper at a faster rate than the contestants are in their mole hunting skills. Yeah, I'm not sure we will ever see anyone get to the end as a mole without really being suspected. By at least one person, yeah. That might be a tough order. Even in some of the Dutch seasons that come to mind when nobody's 
picked the mold until the end, or only one person has picked the mold. It's always been one person picking the mold from maybe final five, maybe final four. We've never had someone get to the final test and still at that point have had nobody suspecting them. Rob? Did Rob get that far? I think so. Wasn't that the big deal that at final four, everyone's like, oh, I guess I guess Rob's actually the mole. I can't remember if it was Buddy suspected him at final five, but I thought he got all the way to final... Just because it was a goofy way that they had the finale with Final Four, but I thought that's what the big deal was, is that no one suspected Rob until the final test. It's just that three people suspected him on the final test. But even having the winner of the season not being confident in the final test, that is a massive credit to Lena. And in my mind, I'm not sure whether he beats Elizabeth, just because obviously she had significantly less prep. But also, I think a lot of Leonard's sabotaging and Leonard's success was his personality rather than his preparation. I was very surprised to see that for a guy who is so bright that his current job is selling ice cream behind the counter, like you'd expect him to be some major, I don't know, scientist in a laboratory or or something that's more career-oriented. I was not expecting him to be selling ice cream to customers after this mole performance. Well, let's be honest, if Alina's anything to go by, he'll be on Dislim's Dements this season. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he'll catch the eye of those producers after what he pulled off here. I think his life is going to change now after after this season has ended. That's not to discredit that, like, oh, it's oh, that's a, anybody can sell ice cream behind the counter, but just, it's not the first career choice you would, or first job you would think of for somebody who is a really successful mole. Yeah. So, three weeks before the trip, Leonard and the alternative mole were asked the same question, which is, do you want to be the mole? And I think it bodes well that Leonard immediately said yes. He has no hesitation, of course I want to be the mole. And Jill tells him that he's going to take him to the first location the next day, which is Liederkirche. And he's surprised by the alternative mole's existence in the cornfield. Do you notice what Jill said to Leonard when he first told him he's like he's the primary mole, saying, well... You took the test to figure out if you would be a good mole for us or not. You didn't score well. You scored really well. You aren't good. You are super good. So whatever quiz they hand out to figure out who would be a good mole or not, sounds like Leonard may have had the highest mole compatibility score ever. Yeah, I don't think there was any doubt with with this cast that they were going to cast Leonard as the mole. I don't think they had any doubt with this. What's surprising, though, is that Leonard gets this really, really high score, and then they still decide, eh, we'll still have a second mole in there. We may never, ever have Leonard as a mole. So the second mole's name is Martin. He's a 25-year-old history teacher, and I did do a bit of Googling on him. He has been on television a few times before. Jill tells him that he's just missed out on going, but he does still have a chance to go. And then they engage in what can only be described as the world's worst trash-talking match. <laughs> both trying to intimidate each other, despite the fact that they are both 25. You suck. No, you suck. No, no, you suck. No, you suck worse than I suck. It might be my favourite scene in the entire reunion, actually, is them trash-talking each other and it just being really, really awkward. There was just so many long pauses because they were trying to figure out what to say next. It's like if you told aliens from outer space, okay, try to make fun of somebody on Earth with all of your Earth knowledge. 
like that's how it played out here where it's like where they were like trying to find find the words yeah it's like flemish wasn't their first language where they're just searching like i don't know what to say next you were you were adopted <laughs> so both moles were prepared for every challenge both at times for the slayer say challenge Leonard does apologize to him at the reunion sorry sorry and they share the same birthday which is march 31st 1995 and this was a complete accident and then the jokes start coming in oh one of them was adopted at birth and the other they were both born to the same parents they're both given half a medallion which uh, which fits together when they are reunited at the reunion show there uh they both have a birthmark on the middle of their back they both wear the same brand of shoes they both like new balance for some reason um their favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate and they both can ride a unicycle so just so many things in common between martine and leonard that we didn't get to see so leonard was determined to be in the last line on the first challenge where he had the biggest influence over who got through and annoyingly that is something we actually suggested them all should probably want to do in that challenge yeah martine was the seventh to grab the book the very last person he got everyone to climb the tower except himself. Appropriately for the mole, he kept out of the line of sight. And I actually think it's a little bit unfair to Martine this challenge. Not just obviously because he he had an all or nothing shot to get through and become the mole itself, but also he's like twice the height of everyone else. He is a huge target. It also didn't help that Leonard met him the day before, so Leonard knew who he had to shoot. It makes me wonder, hmm, probably would have been... In terms of the reunion show content, yeah, it was better to see them face-to-face before the challenge. But in terms of fairness for the challenge itself to put themselves on a level playing field, it was probably more fair to Martine if if, uh, Leonard didn't know which person was the mole. Yeah, I've mentioned this before. My adventures in laser tag... And the fact that I got heavily penalised at a local laser tag arena because I am six foot five, similar height to Martine, and a massive walking target. I felt for Martine when I saw this, where it's like, yeah, you are an easy target here. You're just going to get shot 100. percent Especially if if uh, Leonard's going to try and shoot you with all 15 of his bullets. Yeah. So Leonard was focused on shooting anyone who was tall. He knew which one Martine was immediately, as he was, you know, twice the height of everyone else. Martine says that he knew he was aiming for him, so moved as far from Leonard as possible. Leonard aimed everything at him and him alone, and he actually did shoot Martine himself. And Martine was intruder number 10. And then Gilles sends him on his way. And that's the end of the Martine content. They then return to their rooms to see Leonard's sabotages. These included singing badly on Kelpool Karaoke, sending him to get grapes on his own, which he threw out, something I did call at the time. And he picked the duos for the domino challenge, if Shield said their names alphabetically, they chose money. If he said them the other way around, then they chose the Passfrog. He didn't place 20 dominoes. He was constantly trying to get people to test their setup, and he even managed to mess with Samina five times during that challenge. He also made sure that he and Sven, the two biggest football fans, weren't in the goalkeeping group, and he didn't score any goals himself. And in the binge-watching challenge, he broke the branch that they used to display the sign. Three days before the trip, he completed the jigsaw. He's already good at holding his breath, but he knows the Wim Hof method for extending that further. And that is how he managed to last two minutes and 40 seconds underwater. 
which is an impressive achievement. Yeah. Definitely a guy who can keep calm under pressure. And he also, as expected, took pieces of the puzzle while talking to Yasmin and hid them in the leg of his wetsuit. And there were at least eight when he was chatting to Gilles before the stand-up paddleboard run challenge. And Gilles told him that they won't finish the puzzle, so he could take the race slowly if he wanted to. And he was told before the flying challenge that it would be good if he crashed the plane. It was easy because Yasmin had already done so much wrong as co-pilot, and he had to try so hard not to smile when they crashed on the golf course. <laughs> production suggested that he earned money at the park inn, but he couldn't resist the urge to tank it after three seconds by saying the word erm. I like how he, he just thought, ah, I'm going to do this sabotage, not because it'll be particularly sneaky, but I just think it would be hilarious to only be there for three or four seconds before I plummet. I just think it'd be really funny. I think it'd just be hilarious. So we then get the traditional at-home scenes for the final three. Leonard says that his former classmates suspected him because he used to cheat at tests and get away with it. Sven starts crying when watching the finale with his kids, which is very sweet. And we also get a view of Annalise's family watching the finale, and they are as weirded out as we were by the bathroom scene. And it is described as bad porno. (laughs) And in potentially my favourite split second of the episode when we see Leonard's family watching the reveal, did you spot that he winked at the camera? No, I didn't. He did. If you go back and watch that reveal scene with Leonard's family, he winks at the camera in his family's house. He cannot resist being a showman, basically. Him and Yan need to get together. (laughs) So the axolotl was pure coincidence that that is a mole lizard. The last line of the first challenge was a triangle to form the symbol for men. The mole's room was 301 in the bunker, a 3 on its side forms an M, and there was only one man in that room. In a delightful moment, they subverted everyone's expectations by putting Morse code on the bomb in the bomb challenge. That spelt out, this is not a hint, and people were still suspicious of that. The correct code in the bunker challenge was Bodo, but was also Morse code that we saw Lennart stroke easy with on three separate occasions, spelling out M, O, and L. And Lennart also was taken to the Bruges beaches to crash one of the autumn images, holding an M balloon. And in the fairy tale intro, and this was definitely spotted at the time, Lennart was portrayed as a jester in every page, hinting at him being the Joker in the pack, basically. In the plane, Lennart asked if it was the Atomium that he could see, but it was actually the Belgian town of Mole. And after Izzy was introduced, there was a sound too high for humans to hear, but at a frequency that dogs can hear whenever Lennart appeared on the screen. So dogs could literally know who the mole is before you did. Yeah, even even Isidore knew who the mole was before Sven and Annalata. That's the thing that gets me about the reunion. Even Jill was shocked about the 10,000 euro bid. It was dangerous, because the mole shouldn't just keep money from the pot, but stay unsuspected. And he worked all season by trying to play for the group. We've seen a lot of interactions between Jill and all of the other moles when they have the reunion episode. And I think this is the most shocked I've ever seen Jill with a sabotage from a contestant where it's the first time where he presses the pause button and says, um, are you sure this is how you want to play it? Did you mean to put three zeros or four zeros at the end of 10,000? <laughs> he was putting a lot of doubt in Leonard's mind if he should go that route. It's the closest to where Jill dis- disagrees with the with the mole tactic. Yeah, he was a little bit rattled, I think, by that. I think he was very, very shocked in the moment, and he's like, holy shit, you really came to play this, didn't you? Yeah, because it seemed like Jill's like, hmm, 
I don't know if you as a mole should be responsible for 10,000 euros being taken out of the pot, but as we will discuss in our interview with Jill, Leonard's journey to take out the 10,000 euros definitely makes it justify. It's not just like, boom, he's taking 10,000 euros out for the hell of it. Ha ha. You took out 10,000 euros as a contestant rather than just somebody who was in the almighty powerful mole position. Yeah. Skipping to the end of this episode, because I'm nice like that, and I'm also a massive tease, there is going to be a clip from our Jill interview as a as a post-episode thing for you, as a little treat to end the season. And the clip that I have picked is us discussing this exact moment, and Jill basically explaining whether the mole should have taken more than that out of the pot, and whether it's right for a mole to be able to take so much money from a pot. And I really like the justification we get for it. I'm obviously very much on the side of I don't like moles being able to just take money out of the pot unnecessarily, but Gilles' explanation in both the episode and in our chat with him make a lot of sense, and it it rectifies some of my opinions on that. Yeah, because he shares shared the similar idea too, where he's like, well, no, I don't want just a mole to take out 10,000 euros for the hell of it. There's a path to be able to pull that off, and I think there was definitely sufficient evidence and the correct path taken for the 10,000 euro deduction to be justified. I think if you pull off what Leonard did throughout the season and how much he worked at this, it's like, yeah, I think the contestants deserve to lose 10,000 euros. In fact, if the pot was was 15 or 14 or 13,000 euros for the season, I think that's justified given that our winner didn't even win the game until 10 minutes before the end, it's like, well, nobody was on the mole really with as much confidence until minutes before the final test. And even then, both contestants were still questioning themselves. Then you definitely deserve the lowest pot in Belgian mole history. It's not like, say, the last Dutch season with with Renee where a lot of people were onto her. It's like, well, no, so many people are on to Renee. She doesn't really get to earn the title of having the lowest pot ever. It should have been higher than it was by the end of the game. But with uh, this season, it's like, Leonard did earn for this to be the lowest pot because if no one's onto the mole, the mole should be free to deduct more money than other seasons, as opposed to, say, Peter. <laughs> I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do next season with this sort of stuff and whether they will stop people taking so much money out. Whoa, that's the only other thing that I wanted to discuss the reunion episode, which did come up in the interview too, was they noticed that contestants realized the objective they should have is just to get exemptions, get past frag, and, and just disregard whatever money can be earned, because this is the first season where where they realized this is a problem. Contestants are sacrificing a lot of money even without them all stepping in. So the final sabotage that we actually do see on the episode is that in the bomb game he got out early and convinced people he couldn't lie or cheat. Jill didn't tell him who looked at the dossiers, he still wasn't suspected after the bit. And then Jill tells the group that there was one thing, other than friendship obviously, that united them. They were all spectacularly wrong during the season. Jens took too much time and scored one out of five along with some of the other contestants. Sven was the big suspect of the season. Dammy should have gone home in the castle test. She had tunnel visi on Philip when she went home, and Kevin was on Katrine, Philip, Yasmin, and Samina. 
Philip gambled on Sven on that test, but him and Sven were only one point above the two people who went home. From episode three, Sven started looking at Philip. Noah went mostly on Yasmin. Philip and Sven have tunnel visi on each other at this point. Katrine went home suspecting Yasmin and Philip equally. Samina looked the wrong way with Izzy's training and suspected Enolotta. Yasmin had the correct tactic for the mole in the exemption bid, which was obviously to bid as much as you could, but then put everything on Sven and went home with 1 out of 20. Everyone was sure of Philip at Final Four, but everyone was wrong, and as we suspected, he put everything on Sven in that test. As we discussed last week, Analata swapped moles 10 minutes before the final test, and she beat Sven by 2 points on the bonus 10 questions. And then we see Analata get her €18,240 check. She says she's going to put a party together for the rest when they can actually celebrate. And Jill also presents Jens with a cuckoo clock and a trip to the Mosul as he missed out, which is a very sweet gesture. Yeah, you would never see that in Survivor or Amazing Race where it's like, yeah... Your experience got cut really short, so here's a bit of a consolation prize. Sucks to be you. Yeah. I'm assuming that Martine got something as well. Off air. Yeah, because this is, he's never, it's pretty clear he's never going to have a chance to come back. And then we get the usual outtake montage to end the season, including a very sweet eye roll from Jill when Lennart takes the piss at the final dinner. I love that. That little moment so much. I am probably going to end up giving that before this episode comes out because it just makes me laugh so hard. I'm still shocked that Kevin split between four people and and was still wrong. It's like, man, I, I can't think of too many times where contestant splits between not only splits between four people, which is very, very, very rare, but not even out of the mole in that when you suspect half the cast. And the special thanks in the credits, as always, go to the mole, but also quite sweetly to Martijn van Lu. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the special thanks is always always just for the mole. But um, they do also credit Martine with special thanks. It shows you how much they liked this twist and how much they appreciated how much effort uh, Martine put into trying to get on this season. I mean, it was so cinematic the way they edited. I mean, I, you think, oh, 20 minutes spent on on the backup mole who doesn't even get to the end of the first challenge? Why are we wasting over 20 minutes on that? But I really like how they put that together. Yeah, it's really sweet. And I think it's very emblematic of the rest of the season and the attitude that that the Belgian production crew have to this show. Because, I mean, Jill does talk about it a lot in our episode where he basically goes, we just want the show to be fun. We want it to be escapism, especially in a situation like the last sort of 13, 14 months. They want this show to be genuinely joyous and fun and they think about every loose end that needs tying up like i don't think any other show would have spent nearly as much time on martine as this show did but because they have such love and respect for the cast they count him as one of the cast and they they want to do right by him just as they want to do right by everyone else We've read a lot of interviews from reality tv hosts over the years we've talked to different reality tv hosts and just listening to other interviews they've done. And I gotta say, probably the piece we get out of Jill during the interview yesterday is the most I've ever heard any reality TV host talk about everything they put into taking care of the contestants. Yeah. I didn't have any doubt before we talked to him that they really do care. But the passion that he has for everyone they cast is genuinely lovely. 
Yeah, but yeah, just I know the the showrunner for South Africans Survivor. That guy seems like he really cares about the contestants. You get that impression from him, and whenever he speaks, or uh, Michael McKay from the early seasons of Amazing Race Australia and Hemorrhoids, you always get a really good impression from him. But yeah, Jill, Jill really drove home that point though during the interview. And what impressed me when we were looking at all these quiz results is that everyone had these theories of, oh, why did Philip get executed? Where did everyone else score points? And then when Philip gets executed, Jill just says, oh, yeah, it had nothing to do with with the results of the quiz. It was just the fact that everyone else had a pass frog and he didn't. So three people score one out of 20 and he scores zero out of 20. They all scored two out of 20 as a result of the pass for because they would have got, it's the mole male or female, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's just, that's just hilarious. So it's like, man, we had a final four quiz with three contestants. And if you take away the pass frog, if that male or female question was on the quiz, that means they got three points out of a possible 60. Well, I'm thinking that's going to be the worst final four quiz score ever total. I wish one stat they would dig up is what's the lowest combined point scored on quizzes for an overall season? Because we we get a lot of specific scores revealed to us. Here they say, yep, Philip only goes because of the pass frag. So yeah, other than the male or female question, it's pretty safe to say it was one, one out of 20 scored for everybody. Yeah. And then y- Yasmin was revealed to have scored only one out of 20 on her quiz. And then you think that Samina, I think, was the only one who suspected Analata. And it was probably just for that episode only because of that clue. So you got to think, a lot of Leonard's challenges were with Analata. So you got to think, all the other times when people were executed, since no one really suspected Analata except for Samina for that one episode, there's not even going to be any coincidental points that the people who did survive the quiz earned. So I don't even want to think about what the highest score on any of the quizzes could be, even by pure luck. I'm going to guess the highest Jill probably saw was 3 or 4 out of 20. There's a reason why there's probably a couple ties this season. So how will you look back on this season? Uh, quite fondly, I think. I can't remember who runs the Twitter account on Bother's Bar. Nick Gates. He said on Twitter that out of all the shows that have a reunion special that the Mole Belgi is the only one that provides proper closure and tries to answer every single question that you have. Like every season, they always reveal quiz results, who suspected who and in what order, and sabotages and some of the conversations. And I gotta say, this reunion episode is one of the very, very, very few reunion episodes out of any reality TV franchise where it's actually worth your time to watch it. Right at the end, it's like, yep, every minute of that hour and 20-minute reunion show was worth watching. We say quite frequently with this sort of stuff that we tend to not do very long episodes for the reunions because we don't have much to say about it. But this season is a perfect storm, with us obviously talking to Jill yesterday, and this being such a good reunion episode and so complete for the season and so beautifully done, that there is so much to still discuss about this and it's it's nice to see it i'm also glad regard because i know after argentina i wasn't too fond of the fact that it came down to uh to time after a double tie to determine the winner at least it was revealed this episode that 
when they did the tiebreaker, Analata won decisively by two points, which means they must have made the tiebreaker quiz much tougher compared to Argentina with Kathy and Hannah. Well, yeah, you'd assume that given that Sven, even though he was on the correct mole all that episode, he still managed to score two points lower than Analata did. Yeah, that he had that he had more prep time than Analata did, and yet Analata still wins by two extra points. That that's very impressive. That's a massive disadvantage to have going into a final quiz. Be like, you know what? Final quiz, we've had all season to study, and I'm not going to pick who the mole is until a few minutes beforehand, and let's see how I do. (laughs) So have you got anything else to say about the season before I go into what's next? Uh, I feel like there was another note I want to have about Leonard. Oh, I was surprised how much Izzy barked during the finale. You can't make noise around Izzy. Izzy definitely is, uh, definitely behaves like a small dog. It's very funny seeing how pampered he is on both his and Analos's Instagrams. He is spoiled. That dog is spoiled. <laughs> the most spoiled dog in all of Belgium, other than uh, the dog from Tintin. Snowy. Snowy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting what intel they get from seeing how Leonard's got away with everything as small. They know you can't just. I mean, personality is a big deal, but it's going to be interesting how that affects their future casting choices because a method definitely worked here. Leonard definitely got away with a lot. Almost, I think it's the closest where a production crew thought, man, we have a mole who is too good at what they do. He is a lightning in a bottle mole. That's the best way I can describe him. He is a really good mole. He was born to do that role. I'm curious how that's going to change Leonard's life down the road. Because we've had a lot of fairly young moles lately. Because he's, he's 25, Helena was 20? Uh, yeah, Helena was 20. Yeah. And Vambul was 25? Vambul was 26. Aline was 24. So we've had a lot of younger moles overall. Peter was the oldest then? Peter was mid-30s. Peter was about 34, I think. Yeah, and he's the one that just couldn't hide at all, so it makes you wonder, do younger moles get away with luck? They can play the, oh, I'm in, I'm young and innocent, I don't have as much life experience card, so that's why we've had two seasons now of Leonard and Elena get away with a lot, because uh, Elizabeth and Peter are the only two moles in their 30s, right? And they're the two that have been suspected the most by the fellow contestants throughout the course of the season. So it makes you wonder, are younger moles the way to go? Because it's the same with the... No, Dutch mole's a bad example because of your own. Your own was older and was suspected by nobody. Who? Who? It's a banned word on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a censor. Bleep. Yeah, I, I will just put bacon and Tory spelling over that as always. Oh, it is a kink. So yeah, I think we have... Now, especially after yesterday, sufficiently covered this season. I think I'm out of things to say about Germany. So, now is the the question that I've been waiting to, to ask all season, basically, and all year. And that is, what's next? And the answer is that I'm going to have to make a speech that I actually made last year for the final time potentially ever. So in February 2020, right before, obviously, the world ended... To celebrate our 300th episode, we did our own awards ceremony in which one of the categories was Best Show That We Had Never Covered. The winner of that title was, of course, as we've discussed at rather a lot of length, 
Demol LG, Argentina and South Africa. And we decided to go back over summer and winter last year and write that wrong and covered those seasons. Now it is time to do that again, because if there is one season other than those first two Belgian ones that we have been dying to cover, it is this one. It's time to correct another mistake that we made in covering Amazing Race 30 at the start of 2018, and instead, in June, we are covering Vistamol, Georgia. In fact, you could have already known that, because we've not been entirely subtle with our Georgia references this season especially. And, on top of that, at 1.18pm UK time every single Wednesday of this season, our traditional Vistamol release day, our Twitter has sent out a message, usually a a few words and then hashtag RTVWarriors and no context whatsoever. Each of those messages was one of the episode titles of the Georgia season in order. 1.18pm, of course, is a reference to the opening challenge of the season, where M18, or 13.18 in this case, is very important. I have also, since we started actually recording these episodes, used the traditional art test and execution speech all season long, not just because we are going back to old Vidim seasons, but because it is the most poetically written one of them all. Our final hint was, at the end of episode 7, I directly quoted the Georgia season when I said, Obdefinale, as my last words of the episode. And that is not all, because following that we will have more shows coming, In fact, instead of doing two seasons like we did last year, we're doing four. We are taking our government-mandated podcast break after next week's chat with Jill, but Georgia will be with you weekly from June 30th, and then followed in September by Hunted UK Series 1, in October by Amazing Race 3, and rounding out the year will be Vistamol, Oregon. And that is not all as well. Also coming in November at the moment is our 400th episode. And that is all I can tease about that because we have literally no idea what we're doing yet. If you have any ideas for episode 400, please let us know. I cannot tell you how stressful these last two and a half months, I would say, have been. We have recorded a lot of content for all of this already. (laughs) Yeah, at the time of recording this episode, we have done all of Georgia. We've done a third of Hunted. We've done six of nine for Oregon and none of Amazing Race yet. Yeah, I'm pretty we're pretty much done Oregon, I would say. Yeah, Oregon, we're currently scheduled to have finished next week, I think, and then I can lock those in. But we are currently forecast to have 39 more episodes after Jill's goes up next week. And that is alarming. Because 39 is actually more than we have done in an entire year before and we're doing it in six months. Yeah, we've been keeping busy during during COVID. This has been honestly one of the most fun seasons to cover in Belgium, Germany. It's been one of the most fun things that I think we have got to do is do these these historians episodes. I've had so much fun with them. It is not just me and Logan. Obviously, Michelle and Anne are joining me for the hunted ones. We do have friend of the podcast Bindles appearing in the Vidum ones as well. It's almost made us think that historians are the way to go from now on. (laughs) I mean, not spoiling anything, but I've already started thinking about what next year's are going to be, being honest. And we can record it by June. No, no, we're taking breaks. But the basic logic was, me and Logan both said we really wanted to do Georgia, and then I was always going to be doing Hunted with Michelle and Ant. And then basically me and Logan got free choice. So Logan obviously chose Amazing Race 3, and then I wanted to challenge Logan with with Vidim Oregon because it's a very interesting season. I think you've had a a fun time covering that season with me. 
my gut feeling t- tells me we're going to be doing a lot of mole content over the next year. Mm. But yeah, this has been a genuine delight this season. And I cannot wait for everyone to hear Vista Mole Georgia and the rest. And obviously, I am being deliberately coy on the release dates of the rest just because we haven't finished recording them. But the the official word at the moment is June 30th for Vidum, Georgia. September will be Hunted, October will be Amazing Race, and November will be both episode 400 and Vidum, Oregon. So have you got anything else you want to say, Saunders, before we wrap this season up and tease everyone with a little clip from next week? No, I think everyone wants to peace out and just hear for about the next of flavoring. So... Thank you for listening to our Demol Bezu recaps all season. We'll be back on June 30th to begin the hunt for an old mole in Georgia. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Lysabwacky, and I'm OJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Natalia for the subtitles all season, and we'll see you next week to chat to Jill. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. Would he have been allowed to go above 10,000 euros for that bid for the exemption? I mean, we uh, didn't even know that he was going to go that high, so no one in their right mind would have thought that, you know, he would have gotten away with 10k. Except Bart? (laughs) Probably. Probably Bart was a little bit disappointed and that it it wasn't 10,200, because that's the exact amount he took out of the book. (laughs) I mean, it it would be Bart, yeah, to think that, but... um, no, no, the, the original idea was that if he were to make a bid, it would be a lot less. But, you know, these things depend, of course, on how much you're being suspected in the group. And, um, uh, of course, if, if no one looks your way, then you're pretty much free to do as you like. But, I, I mean, this was a kind of a turning point in the season because loads of people really don't like the idea of the mole um, emptying the group pot, the, the pot like that. But... First of all, and you know, as we explained, Leonard had been preparing this all along, all the season. He was always being the good guy throughout the series, always making you know uh, choices for money, never for personal benefits, being the good guy, playing the mortally wounded team player whenever someone else chose an exemption or or a personal benefit, and and he maintained that throughout the series. Then he asked to go first in that diary room, very specifically to not look into the dossiers and. You know, giving all other players a chance to block any sabotaging because if no one looks, then the mole is pretty much powerless. Uh, and I've, I think if this was a normal series, um, chances were that at least some of the others would have been onto him already by episode six. And they could have kept their hands out of the dossiers as well to block the mole and to win money, which to me would have been an equally good uh, story arc. But it didn't happen. And we haven't told Leonard who looked into the dossiers. Uh, because we wanted, you know, if you were if you were to make a bid, we wanted to make it as level playing field as possible. And this is the important part. You know, he had exactly the same chances as any other candidate at that point. So we didn't tell him to make a specific bid. But you know, we would have thought if he were, it would be somewhere around 5k. And then he sits there and he doubles it. And but, but you know precisely because no one was onto him, he doubles it like almost a red arrow pointed at him, shouting, "Guys, look at me!" And then two seconds after he d- does that, he predicts 
they will congratulate me with it. They will, they will, they will grant me the 10k. They won't, they won't think twice about it. And not 11 seconds later in the show, you see Yasmin doing exactly that, congratulating uh, him because he had been playing that good guy all along, while I might say still sabotaging an awful lot. So if you think of it, it's actually incredibly, incredibly gutsy. And in the end, he played like a regular player. He had no info. He made a move. And he got away with it brilliantly. No different than Bart did last year, which everyone seems to accept. But why should the Mo be allowed to do the same as a candidate, especially when he's totally unsuspected by the others and, and you know, raising the stakes like he did? So to me, it's a brilliant sabotaging move, but one we were very, um, well, our heart rate went up. I'll, I'll give you that. That evening in Berlin, our, our heart rates went up, but... If you think about it, it's absolutely brilliant. Did you split the ten grand between between you guys after the ten grand was taken out of the pots? Like, oh, well, little bonus for us for good work. No, but we did get a bottle of wine from management actually, uh, <laughs> um, uh, like yesterday uh, from Bremer Kalmont, so the the Riesling uh, we visited. Uh, because uh, and in a, in a very uh, funny note, they thanked us for the low uh, pot uh, this year. But uh, more as a joke than anything else. No, we didn't see any of that money. Maybe I should have asked for it, yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I am on the side of I don't particularly like the mold just being able to completely and utterly raid the pot. But I will say, Leonard's actions justified it, I think. It's acceptable for me because he did so much groundwork in, in the rest of the season to make it actually a palatable move for him as both player and a mole. Yes, and other players were not powerless i mean take last year um in episode six there are i think at that point two people onto the mole at that point they can say okay we don't look into these dossiers can, then the mole cannot do so because it, it would be too obvious you can block a person and I'm, I'm i agree with you i'm not a fan of a mole raining a pot absolutely not but when he justifies it when he prepares it when he gives them the chance you know to block him and when he predicts that he will get away with it because he's so brilliantly um, bold and gutsy, then it's okay. I wouldn't have liked it last year if uh, Bart turned out to be the mole. Then, you know, no one stands a chance because it's it's everyone bits, but you don't have to do anything for it. In this instance, there was a lot of preparing and, and people were in principle able to cross him. They didn't and he uh, he made his move. 